0: gas prices remaining stubbornly high but why what's causing us to pay so much at the pump we wanted to find out so we caught up with dr scott jackson visiting professor of chemical engineering at villanova university there's a lot at play here give a listen so to start gas prices remain stubbornly high we see oil you know around a hundred dollars a barrel what's Going on here is how much of this is profit taking, how much is demand, how much is weird stuff from the pandemic. You know what are we seeing here?
1: It, it's actually a combination of two things, right? One is essentially structure, and that that is um, the supply and demand curve. And and so when the pandemic started, <clears throat> the bottom dropped out of the market. So nobody was buying gasoline, nobody was driving, and all of a sudden everybody said, "Oh my gosh, there's too much oil in the market," and. And I don't know if you remember, we had a discussion. It went negative. The, mm-hmm. the price of oil for a very short time. That was an oddity. It's just it, it really didn't mean anything. It meant that the producers weren't making any money. Okay, so everybody, everybody scaled back the the big oil uh, pay zones in the U.S. Uh, the Permian Basin, the Bakken, they basically shut down. I mean, there was massive layoffs, right? And and so did also OPEC. OPEC curtailed uh, uh, production they weren't making any money. Now the Saudis probably would make money around 30, 25 dollars a barrel because their their lifting costs are really cheap, but but you know, it, it wasn't good for anybody. So so OPEC stepped in, OPEC plus, the plus being Russia, uh, came in and said, "Oh, here's our quotas, it's much reduced. We will tailor off, uh, back off on our production." And and so they're working with the supply and demand curve. The the, the the demand was way down. Let's push supply down. Our inventories will be reduced, the prices will moderate up to $35, $45 a barrel. The OPEC can make money, everybody's happy. Okay. And that went along for, for a while. And then all of a sudden, the uptick in the world economy was a lot faster than anybody thought it was going to happen. So all of a sudden, The opposite has occurred, Okay, starting end of last year, starting beginning of this year, especially when it looked like the covid pandemic starting to recede after the the spike uh, late last year, early this year. uh, Everybody came back, said, we're tired of this. Let's go out and drive and party and everything else. Demand went way up a lot faster than anybody thought was going to occur. And here's everybody, all the producers saying, oh, we got to ramp up production. And then they realize, holy smokes. We, we can't ramp up as quickly as we can for, the, for the, uh, the demand. And so all of a sudden, there's high demand, and they can't get the production up. It's like, oh, geez, what are we going to do? So they're struggling to meet production. Meanwhile, that meets classic econ 101, the, the price of oil is going up. So that's one factor. The other factor is emotional, OK? So the situation in Europe is just messing with everybody's mind, and rightfully so. It's really destabilizing the whole world economic situation. Natural gas is piped right straight through Ukraine from Russia to Western Europe. And there's some oil transport, but but it's usually really natural gas. And the whole situation is really making people nervous. And so consequently, the futures for oil are going up. The, the the so there's two factors again the supply and demand is out of balance there's too much demand not enough supply they're trying to come up and I can tell you by the summer they will they'll be back up but the second one is the emotional one and 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 if if people aren't you know happy or fuzzy if the situation is in re- Ukraine is continues to go on if there is an invasion of Ukraine holy crap you can expect the price of oil to stay high. Now, what's interesting, and I can guarantee you that it won't stay high very long, because OPEC is going to, is already realizing, oh, here comes the Americans again, because now drilling activity in the Permian Basin, in the Bakken, and other basins in the United States is ramping up way high. So there's there's a lot more what are called drill rigs. So the number of drill rigs is, is a measure of how much uh, oil exploration actually production going on, and 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 that number is climbing. Can, there's a company called Baker Hughes that keeps track of these drill rig counts. They publish them every every week. And I actually share it with, with a class in petroleum engineering at, at Villanova. And oh my gosh, it's going up. And guess what? The Americans are back in the game. We are again the largest exporter of, of petroleum products in the world. Okay. I mean, we're the large we are net exporters of petroleum products, whereas before, back about five, six years, we were net importers. Okay. So that's good. We are supplying a heck of a lot of liquefied natural gas to the European market. Now, us and Qatar are, are the two biggers, big ones. And we are now producing a heck of a lot of oil. And we're making a lot of money, okay? And and, and those are the big uh, players, ExxonMobil and others that have in fact invested in shale oil in the Permian Basin and the Bakken. And OPEX is looking at it and said, oh no. They know what they have to do if they're going to try and cut out the Americans, and they have to sort of overproduce, drive prices down. Here's that that supply and demand curve again. If they overproduce and there's not enough um, demand, then all of a sudden, the prices are going to drop, and the Americans aren't going to make money because the, the point at which the Americans in the shale business start making not enough money is around $50, $60 a barrel. So my guess is that OP and OPEC knows this, by the way. That they'll try and overproduce, try and drive down the price to around fifty to sixty dollars a barrel, and the Americans will stop uh, really exploiting as much as they are right now. The uh, the the basins in the United States, and particularly shale oil. Okay,
0: what's the lag time from uh, you know oil at you know as we're talking here? I think ninety two, ninety three dollars a barrel to prices coming down at the pump like how how <laughs> long you know if we hear oil is starting to drop and we get right. down let's say to that 50 60 how long is the lag until we feel relief at the pump usually it, it's a lot
1: longer than going up i'll tell you that it's it it's always amazing so uh it is interesting I, i'm guessing it will it, if in theory it should be only maybe about a month maybe three weeks, something like that, because that's that's how long the, the supply line is in a sense. Uh, it, it's probably a little bit longer than that. But, but I'll tell you, when when you see prices of, of oil go up, and, and I suspect they'll probably reach $100 a barrel before they start retreating. And uh, that may be sooner than later, probably. I, I've been telling my students by the end of the semester, we may see uh, oil at $100 a barrel. And the gas prices just keep on going up in lockstep. And this is an interesting sort of dichotomy in the industry. When oil prices are really high, the producers, the people that pump oil out of the ground, they're the ones that making money. The refiners are squeezed. So they they, they actually are almost not making any money. Despite what people might think, they're being squeezed because all the raw material, the, the crude oil, is now gone up in prices. Their cost for refining it hasn't changed. If anything, it's increased, right? And and so all of a sudden, and they they can't necessarily easily pass all that along. So they're actually losing or they're not making as much money. When the prices of oil are low, just the opposite happens. The producers don't necessarily make much money. Okay, but the refiners, all of a sudden their margins a lot higher. Oh, this is great. You know, and they they can they can actually do, do well. Okay, so what's interesting is integrated or Companies like ExxonMobil that have production and refining, they can make money whether the price of oil is low or whether it's high because they're making it at both ends. And and in fact, ExxonMobil just I think just a couple of weeks ago uh, had I think a lot higher price uh, profits than anybody had had uh, uh, thought w- was possible. And sure enough, it, it, it is because of the price of oil and they're doing well.
0: Okay, one of the things I've always found interesting is gas prices always seem to be so many people make their judges on where the economy is by gas prices and i get it to a point because it's 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 visceral it's in front of you it's every two blocks when you're driving through the city um and anyway and it gets tied politically to whoever's in office yeah there's nothing a president can do either way i felt this way when you, you we've seen it with Bush, Obama, Trump, Biden it gets yep, yep. they get hammered with it but i mean we hear talk about presidents releasing oil from the strategic reserve i think president biden did yes, that yes. does that does that move the needle at all or is that more just the appearance of <clears throat> that whoever's in charge is trying to do something and feels your pain
1: it it does move the me- needle a little bit but probably not as much as everybody consuming gasoline would like to see so um that strategic uh, reserve is enormous, right? And by putting a little bit of oil back out there, it, yes, it helps. But the fact matters; is it is clearly is political. And let me make it very clear: no president has control of oil prices. There's no way. Okay, it has nothing to do with what what Trump or Biden or Bush or anybody else has done. It's all because of OPEC and the dynamics with. The U.S. Uh, oil production and particularly shale oil—that's uh, the wild card here—and and it kudos to the Americans for coming up with technology to, to come to get uh, oil out of a formation that everybody, when I was growing up, I remember reading about shale oil. Everybody said it's impossible; you'll never get oil out of that. Everybody knew there was huge amounts of oil in shale. Americans figured out how to do it. Eh? What's also very interesting, too, I, I don't, is the Chinese actually have very large deposits of shale oil as well. Hmm. So I'm certain they can figure out how to get it, but their geological situation is a lot different than it is in the US. Okay. In the Permian Basin and the Bakken, and Nairobera, those basins, those areas that hold this the shale oil, the shale. They're basically a continuous platform of rock. So you can go down a certain number of feet, turn your drill bit horizontally, run it up, you know, a mile or two, and then frack and you get oil, okay? Or natural gas in, in the Marcellus, right? In the Chinese shale deposits, they're not continuous. So what happens is that the shale was put down in the bottom of an ocean. There was a lot of faulting and tectonic activity. All of a sudden, these shale pieces are there they have oil or natural gas but they're not continuous so they go down they drill into a a lobe of of the shale and all of a sudden their drill bit goes into stuff that doesn't have oil it's it's something other than shale so so they ha- it's it's a very distinct differently different geological situation in other parts of the world the united states seem to be somewhat unique in that we have these shale deposits that are very continuous very uniform. You go down. You're, you're almost. It's like 100% certain. You're going to hit pay, right? You're going to get the oil out. It, it is pretty remarkable in that sense. So it's not clear that other countries. Well, it, they do have shale oil up in Canada. They haven't uh, exploited it as much. It's not so clear that other countries have the right situation to do what the United States has done. It's it, very interesting kind of kind of um, dichotomy in a sense.
0: It's interesting. I feel like I've heard for decades politicians rail against the idea that we should be energy, the U.S. should be energy (laughs) independent. What would that mean? How realistic is that? Are we actually close to that? Because I I must say, I don't hear nearly as much rhetoric about that than I did 5, 10, 15 years ago. And you talk about the the influx of shale. Has that changed the game, how much we're dependent on everybody else? Absolutely. It is such
1: a game changer. I can't tell you enough. And and in some ways, I'm not certain it's the right thing, but, but for the short term, it, it is the right thing. So shale gas and shale oil clearly has changed the economics in the in, in US. You don't hear about energy independence for the United States because we're essentially energy independent right now. We are net exporters of petroleum fuel, okay? And that's natural gas and oil, okay? Marcellus shale, holy smokes, what a game changer. I remember when I was a kid, my parents were oh, they they would turn down the thermostat. We we were running off of natural gas in our home up in uh, New York State. And um natural gas prices were pretty expensive. And, and you know, it's it's really was hurting their budget. Marcella Shale, I mean, at the start of pandemic, it was less than two dollars of BTU, not a million BTU. That's really cheap, right? Now it's four dollars a million BTU. Okay, it doubled in price. That's nothing. It is, you know, what they're paying for natural gas in Europe? It's like twenty five dollars a million BTU. It's well, it's six times more than what we're paying for here in the United States. Now, so natural gas is a little bit different than oil. It it tends to be a local market. So we get natural gas here from the Marcellus Shale, from other. Uh, there's actually quite a bit of natural gas from the Bakken and and um, and from the uh, uh, Permian Basin. That are co-produced with the oil so we're we're really well set for natural gas and natural gas in a sense is a great bridging fuel so what do i mean by that the bridging fuel concept comes in because natural gas is a lot cleaner burning than than coal so you get rid of your coal power plant power plants right and there's a lot of overhead for coal power plants but you can put in gas turbines that are pretty cheap to install Okay, and you can put them in incrementally. You can burn. There's no bad emissions. Unfortunately, it's just carbon dioxide and water. Okay, you don't have to have any scrubbers. There's no wastewater. You can get fairly high energy efficiency, like on the order of maybe forty, maybe fifty percent, depending on what they're uh, how they're doing it. And it's a great base load for electricity. So you can get away from the from the fuels, coal specifically, and get to a much cleaner fuel ultimately, you still don't want to necessarily burn natural gas, right? Europe is trying to do the same thing. But all of a sudden, most of Europe, or a lot of Europe's natural gas is coming from Russia, okay? Oh, my God, the politics there. And so the United States has been trying to push our cheap natural gas. Now, it's not doesn't become cheap when you liquefy it and then ship it across the ocean. That's an expensive proposition. But people here in the United States can make a lot of money by doing exactly that because cheap gas here, sell it a lot more expensive over there. Hey, everybody wins because now the the particular Germans can get away from the Russians and, and not be so subservient to the Russians. So I just opened up a whole can of words about the geopolitical mess about energy. And that's always been the case that there's always been geopolitics involved in energy and and it, at, re- at least right now, the United States seems to be in a very good position to try to play it to their uh, advantage because of our situation with, with shale oil and shale gas. No question whatsoever. But don't get me wrong. We also have to get rid of our addiction to to hydrocarbon fuels. OK, that's all there is to it. And and it's not going to be easy. The, the good news is, I, I think I've talked to you about this before. Is I don't know if you know, but but this year is a ban year for electric cars. Electric car sales are just going through the roof. You might have to wait six months to buy an electric car, and after putting down a two thousand non-refundable deposit. Okay, so you're paying more for an electric car, and you're waiting six months. They can't sell. It's, it's interesting because they can't sell enough gasoline-powered cars. Now, granted, there's a, a supply problem but with a gasoline powered supply because the chip shortage and everything Mm. else, but everybody, all the auto, auto companies are sitting there going, holy crap, we have to move fast on electric cars because people love them. Right. And it's not because I don't think because they're, yeah, they're environmentally conscious and they recognize, I think a lot of people are coming around to the fact there is climate change, but more importantly, they're really cheap to operate. Oh my gosh. You know, I think I've said this before, it's, it's, you you plug it in. It's like, it's equivalent to a dollar, a gasoline, a dollar a gallon gasoline. When you plugged in the car, it's like, and and I got solar cells and guess what? My electric car. Hey, it's free.
0: It's great. You know, in in a sense, in a sense. (laughs) So give me the best case scenario, you know, for gas prices the next six months and the worst case scenario.
1: A worst case scenario, it will go over four dollars a barrel. When, once price of oil goes to a hundred, um, I'm pretty certain. Uh, well, already I know in California, it's it's approaching five dollars a barrel. So, but don't go to a California. If, yeah, uh, five dollars a barrel uh, gallon. Right. Sorry, but yeah. So California, you don't want to go to if you, you're planning on doing a lot of driving because it's just yeah. Um, but certainly in, in, in the East Coast, you know, uh, Delaware, Pennsylvania, Maryland. New Jersey, it'll go over $4 a barrel pretty soon. You know, once oil goes over $100 a barrel, once oil comes back down, it, it will retreat. I can guarantee you that it may take till the third quarter of this year before it gets down to, uh, you know, 50 or $60 a barrel. It will it'll back off of, of $4. It may back off of $3, okay, get below $3. No guarantee about that. I'm not certain. I mean, so this sounds terrible people have to recognize there is a price to using a very nice energy source right gasoline specifically and and if in order to change people's habits then then if if the price of gasoline is high people will seriously think more and more about switching to other vehicles and you know what's really great to see is all these these electric pickup trucks now being advertised and i can tell you those are going to go like Oh, hot cakes oh my gosh unbelievable I, I was i've been very surprised at at the development and then the uh, i think it's rivian is the one company i, I know they're under they're not making the production quarters they'd hoped but oh my gosh and and then gm and ford have both come out of with uh because they know a winner and, and those are going to be winners no question whatsoever because again you're not tied to the price of gasoline anymore you don't have to worry about the swings and the maintenance. The brakes last forever. Okay, you have to change out tires, but oh my gosh, that there's no gasoline engine, there's no fuel pump, there's no fuel system, there's no exhaust system. You don't have to worry about all that mess. And and by the way, they're a lot cheaper to make for the auto companies. The big price tag is the batteries. And once the batteries cut down in price, and they will, then all of a sudden, oh, you know, that, that's great. That will be great. So switching to electric vehicles is one thing. And I think people will for economic reasons and also environmental reasons, but pr- probably more likely economic. And they're cool. They they're cool, right? Everybody likes to have a of a Tesla. That's a cool car to have, right? My Chevy my my Chevy uh, um Volt, wow, you know, that's not so cool. That's not that's not a Tesla, right? At the end of the day, it's not just electric vehicles. We have to have more and more mix of renewables. And it's nice to see that we are finally leasing off the east coast of the United States wind power facilities. Uh, and, and what is interesting too, I, I, I don't know if you've noticed this. I think it was about nine or ten months ago. BP actually paid a near record amount for a lease, offshore lease off of, I believe it was Ireland or England, and everybody was shocked at it. And it wasn't a lease to find oil; it was to establish windmills. It's like, wow, that's unbelievable. And it made sense because BP, I think is recognizing they're an energy company, not necessarily an oil company. And to provide energy, you go go to a sure thing. They know what the wind is gonna be off the shores of of Ireland and England. And and so they can actually calculate, this is how much energy we're gonna produce. And this is how much we need to invest. And we're willing to pay for that lease